Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast interview. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com. Very excited to bring in one of the great guys, one of the great stories, success stories uh, from Texas football in the last decade. Gosh, I'm getting old. Uh, Fozzie Whitaker, ladies and gentlemen. I call him Captain America because, you know, he loves him a little Captain America. Fozzie, how you doing? Man, I'm doing fantastic. First off, I want to say I appreciate you having me on the show, man. I uh, obviously listen in from time to time and just appreciate the work that you do covering the team. But uh, obviously your relationship with, with myself, we go way back. So whenever you say you getting old, that means I'm getting old, too. No way, you say no a decade, way. And I'm like, whoo, that I was mean, a while ago since I was in college. But uh, well, I'm feeling great. Fozzie, I, you're a big star now on LHN. So I, of course, want to get your thoughts on the the Texas Longhorns coming out of spring football. But it, this is also good timing because we've just uh, finished up the NFL draft. And look, sometimes your name gets called, sometimes it doesn't. But for Texas fans and for those who are maybe just college football fans tuning in, Fozzie Whitaker is a great success story because you were at Texas from, what, 08 uh, through 11. And you had a serious knee injury that really kind of took you out of draft consideration. And, and so, you know, the, the 2012 draft comes and goes, but in 2013, you get in with, you know, you're with Cleveland, you're with San Diego, and then you start an NFL career. Just talk about what it took Fozzie to come back from the torn ACL and make your way into the NFL sort of against all odds. Yeah, man, it, it truly was a, a journey that I traveled on, uh, obviously not by choice. Uh, if I had an opportunity to redo it myself, uh, then I say, you know, I'm able to finish out my senior season, uh, uh, go out with a bang and, and get drafted and, you know, live happily ever after, you know, how everybody's vision goes. But me, uh, I am a believer in God. Uh, you know, he had a plan for me, and that plan was always to prosper no matter what it looked like. And uh, I go down in November against Missouri, uh, and it was a non-contact play and uh, tear up my knee pretty badly. And, man, my, my whole thought process during that time frame was like, man, I hope I'm just able to recover enough so that I can, you know, go to the combine, try to be able to perform at the combine, showcase my skills. Uh, already knew playing in the senior bowl was out of the question. Uh, and just being able to try to get a little glimmer of a team that that can show some interest in myself uh, and, and believe that I'd be able to be of some help for the upcoming season. But, uh, man, that path definitely took some some left turns, some right turns and a couple of loops in there as well. But um, going all the way, had surgery in January, uh, trying to recover for the combine in February and not really able to do anything from a, a standpoint of physical ability so they weren't able to test anything other than bench same thing for pro day which was a month later 
uh, man, the draft rolls around and uh, in my head, I'm just talking with my agent and having some conversations about teams that are showing interest, but not sure, you know, how much interest they can garner, given that I wouldn't be able to play until probably the end towards the end of the season. And uh, it just still came a possibility in my mind that I could be a day three guy. And, you know, back whenever I was playing, they had, you know, the first round on Thursday night, then they had second and third round on Friday. And then on Saturday, they did four through seven. And then that's usually where the priority free agent guys usually went after the seventh round. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, I'll probably be a day three guy. Uh, I kind of know my evaluations were hit by my injury, but uh, I just kept sticking to the plan and I was working hard, putting my head down. I was finishing up my master's degree at Texas uh, and just really was focused on trying to achieve my lifelong goals since I was a young kid of uh, you know, making it to the NFL and playing for an NFL team. And man, I say that day probably was one of the longest days of my life, just going through round number four, going through round number five, my agent calling me, telling me, uh, you know, this team's interested, so be by your phone. Nothing happens in round number six. And then round number seven, he tells me, you know, Buffalo is seeming very interested in, and there's some real interest on both sides to be able to be on their their final draft pick of round number seven and then round seven goes by and I hear nothing. And so then my agent's like, well, you know, this is still normal for, for things like this to play out, but there's an opportunity with priority free agent guys that have a better situation. They may even have the same contract as some of those late seven round guys, but now they get to choose their situation. And I was like, okay, cool. All right. What are our offers? Who's, who's coming and who's talking? Well, couple teams still just don't know about your injury and how long it may take for you to contribute on the team. So we just got to sit back, wait and see, continue to heal up. And so that entire day was just a whirlwind and probably the exact opposite of what I expected to happen. I expected to be named on a team uh, by the end of that day. And lo and behold, I was not. And then to make matters worse was I started off that morning fishing with a couple of my buddies that I grew up with, my lifelong friends in Houston, uh, and with some of my family members as well. And I lost a fishing pole, man. I got a call from my agent. I got up to take the phone call and a catfish took my pole all the way in the water. So not only did I not get drafted, but I lost my favorite fishing pole that day too. And I couldn't fish it out with another pole. So I was, I was going through it, man. It was a lot of emotions that were surging through myself, but I had to reflect back on how I even got to this position, right? I was blessed to even be able to play at the University of Texas. I was blessed to finish my master's degree. I was blessed to even be in the predicament where my name may even be called because there are so many people that get the opportunities but don't necessarily make it to that next level. So for me to even be in consideration of being drafted or signed as a priority free agent, man, I was extremely blessed. And I had to take that perspective and continue to put my head down and work because you know how it is. It's less than 1% of football players make it to the next level. And that I was being considered in that less than 1% in a less than ideal situation from my perspective. But uh, it ended up. Yeah. Yeah. So even before that, so even before that, in 2012, obviously I didn't get drafted. I go throughout the entire offseason training. So I'm just in my head trying to better myself. I pick up a part-time job uh, to make some money while I still was training and rehabbing on my knee. And nothing happens throughout training camp, which is when a lot of transactions can happen. Nothing happened during training camp. Nothing happened through the first half of the season. 
and we get back to the last four weeks of the NFL season and the Arizona Cardinals called me and they, well, they called my agent and they said, Hey, we want to fly him out for a workout to see how he's healing up and how he's looking. So I fly out there for a workout. I do the workout with the running back coach and the head coach and the offensive coordinator looking, and it was just me. I was solo out there. So I'm going through the workout dying because obviously it's just me. So they put me through drills, boom, 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 boom. And I'm dying, but uh, I was in great shape. I worked out with Benny Wiley and, and Cesar Martinez and Anna, who was on campus at that time as a strength and conditioning staff. And they they kept me going and I felt great. And so I come back home after that workout and my agent said, man, I think you did a good job. You know, we, we should hear something back from them. And literally a week later, they called me back and said, hey, we're flying you out. We're going to sign you on practice squad for the last couple of weeks of the season. So I go out and I, I practice and I'm on practice squad with them for the last two weeks. Uh, so that was my introduction into the NFL signing with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, and then in 2013, I get released because all of the Cardinal coaches and the entire basically organization was fired because they didn't do well. So that was an unfortunate situation that I walked into, but it actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise because Ken Wisenhunt was a head coach there. He gets a job with the San Diego Chargers as the new offensive coordinator. Whenever I was released by the Cardinals, the first day that, or even in that same day after I was released, I was claimed off waivers by the San Diego Chargers and I packed my bags and I made my way out to San Diego to be reunited with Ken Wisenhunt. So I must have left a lasting impression on him uh, because he saw fit to bring me with him out to San Diego. And man, uh, I was able to turn that 2012 workout in Arizona after recovering from knee extensive knee surgery. That was in December. I was able to turn that into a full seven year career with that first year being on practice squad with the Cardinals. And man, it just. It just, like I said, it was amazing and, and a, a road that I probably couldn't even script if there was a script for it. But uh, I, I've definitely been told I've been put in a unique situation. Uh, but I just give thanks to God for allowing me to even be in a position to be able to have played seven years after, you know, my career ending at, at the collegiate level. So well, I just it, it, it is so rare that a player who goes undrafted, who's and then there's time lapse. And with four games left in the season, you go to Arizona for a workout. Who do you think, like, did your agent just work some magic there? Was there someone on the staff who knew about you? How I how didn't, did I didn't, I didn't have a connection with Arizona. I mean, my agent obviously has has spoken with a ton of the player development personnel guys, ops, the GM. Uh, you know, he has that relationship with so many people. The only person I knew on the team really was Sam Acho because uh, he and I played together uh, at Texas. But outside of a management standpoint, I hadn't had no relationship with uh, Coach T-Rob. You know, the funny thing about it, Tommy Robinson was the head, was the running back coach in Arizona who later became the Texas running back coach uh, a few years down the line. So that connection kind of was so cool in that moment. But uh, I, I had no connection with anybody uh, other than Sam Macho and just knowing him, but my agent was able to get that call in and, um, you know, somebody saw fit to, to give me an opportunity to try to showcase my abilities. And man, I just tried to, uh, take advantage of every moment that I got and, and just keep running with it. Well, good for you for never giving up on that dream, because that is a unique path. I covered the NFL, um, you know, for a few years with the Dallas morning news. And I used to watch guys come in 
you know, for workouts with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but man, translating that with four games left in a season, translating that workout into uh, a position on the practice squad, and then ultimately a, a seven-year NFL career is is a fantastic story. So for all the guys who worked out at Pro Day for Texas and didn't get their name called, look at Fozzie Whitaker and keep going, keep preparing, keep keep dreaming and grinding. Absolutely. And, and make make your own opportunity. Um, well, how you like in TV before we before I put you on the hot seat, <laughs> we start uh, assessing each position of these Longhorns coming out of the spring. How you like in LHN? Man, I love LHN, and uh, this was one thing that I had always wanted to do, and it wasn't until I got older in my career at Texas that I realized broadcasting was something that I actually enjoyed, and I always heard growing up, whenever I was in high school ball, even in middle school, uh, you know, my mom would instill into me, you know, make sure that you speak well, you never know who's listening, right? And whenever I was doing my high school interviews, I would take that as a practice and learning opportunity to try to work on, you know, just my speech and making sure I'm talking and where people can understand me. Uh, and people would say, hey, man, you, you spoke well, you talked well. And I'm just like, well, I thank you. I appreciate that. But I don't know if they were just being nice or if they actually meant that. Uh, so I just was continuously working on it and uh, went to my undergrad, was in communication. So I, I studied uh, communications as well. So that helped me out. And then, man, whenever 2011 came, my senior year, Longhorn Network launched on campus. And my number one goal was to make sure that Andy Wall, who's the executive producer, knew my name, knew who I was, so that whenever the opportunity presented itself, I could come on to the show, uh, maybe help out, be a special guest, or possibly help with hosting some of the shows. And man, uh, I say that relationship blossomed into I mean, uh, what is it now? 12 years now. Like, literally, we, we're going on year number 12 that I've known Andy uh, and Lowell Galindo, who's the anchor there since the beginning, uh, a 12-year relationship that is fostered. And, man, I, I couldn't be uh, more happy to be with a team like like this group of people uh, that have been so, so supportive of my career, not just at Texas, but also uh, my NFL career. And then now my broadcasting career, man, it, it's a dream come true to be able to cover the team that I love uh, and then do what I love, which is talking, uh, you know, to people about what these players bring to the table. I love it. I love it. All right. We'll take a quick break here on the uh, flagship podcast interview with Fozzie Whitaker. Don't go anywhere though, because uh, when we come back, I'm going to put Fozzie on the hot seat position by position about these Longhorns coming out of spring football. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Fozzie, so um, this is the confidence level, I think, that we should have in each position based on talent, experience, depth, leadership, uh, all those just integral uh, qualities that you want to have in each position group. And we'll go highest to lowest, okay? Um, I've got a nine on a scale of one to 10 for the running back room. I say you so, might as well put that at a 10. It put it in. Okay. <laughs> All right. Tell me why. Well, I look at the depth. Number one, right? You, you start off at the top. Whenever you speak of depth, that means you got to have some great talent all the way through. But you start off at the top. B. John Robinson, I think, is the most explosive and most prolific running back in college sports right now. And, and so other people may have a different argument. Uh, they may talk about a couple of other runners that are also very, very good. But just what I see on a weekly basis from what Bijan is able to do, not only just in the games, but what he's able to do and accomplish in practice as well. Man, that just it, it gets me excited every single time knowing that he he has that capability and he can do pretty much whatever he wants to do on the field, whether that's catching, running. Uh, he can do it all. But not only is Bijan a, a great piece in addition for Steve Sarkeesian to work with, but you start talking about guys like Roshan Johnson and Keelan Robinson that fit in in the scheme of, you know, they can do it all. And Roshan is probably the uh, most finite example of somebody that goes under the radar but provides so much value whenever he gets an opportunity to get in. We saw a couple of times last year, you know, he breaks off 100-yard uh rushing games he breaks off touchdowns he's in on special teams all of them first off and then he's making an impact uh and then the dirty work nobody talks about the running backs picking up those blitzes on third down whenever you got to come in and be able to stone that that inside linebacker or stone that safety that's rushing uh to get to the quarterback and that's what roshan does that dirty work that nobody wants to do but he does it well and he can come in and obviously tote the rock uh whenever his number is called also but you pair Bijan with Roshan, and then you add in a little sprinkle of dash right there, a little lightning in a bottle. And that's what Keelan Robinson brings to the table, a guy that is extremely fast, also had a 100-yard games uh, last season as well. Uh, and the thing about Keelan is he is extremely strong, right? Everybody looks at him as an undersized guy or somebody that's not too, too big in stature. But I'm here to tell you he's not as small as you think, and whenever you hit him, he is extremely powerful for how fast he is. So I think this running back room is probably the best that we've seen in quite some time. And it looked really, really, really good. Fozzie, I'm going to ask you, uh, I've got a confidence level of eight on the defensive tackle position. I mean, you've got your, your three deep at nose tackle with Keandre Coburn, um, Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, and then at the three technique, you've got Alfred Collins, Moro Jomo, Vernon Broughton. Maybe they haven't played to an eight, but 
man, they've got to be ready. They're, they've got to be past the, I'm just happy to play. And now they've got to be, I just want to win, right? Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. That talent level that you just spoke of, and I think Byron Murphy probably has the biggest ceiling out of all of those guys just mentioned. But uh, you bring back, bring back so much production. You bring back guys that know how to play. And then Coburn, obviously, coming back for an additional season, uh, provides that senior leadership that you want and somebody that can get after the, the the run game, shut it down, and then being able to, uh, you know, get after the passer as well, especially from the three technique. Alfred Collins uh, made some impactful plays last season from that three technique as well. So those guys returning, I feel very confident in that interior. And, and from what I saw in the spring, they look like they were ready to stop the run in comparison to what was happening late in games last year. Okay, receiver, I've got a confidence level of seven and a half. <laughs> the half, right? <laughs> Primarily because you've got a clear top three with Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, and Isaiah Nair. Uh -huh. But after that, you know, we're not quite sure, right? Right, right. The inconsistency is Troy O'Meary going to be uh, the explosive Troy O'Meary from fall camp two years ago uh, when he gets into fall camp. Ajayi Hall from Alabama, is he coming in ready to work and be a good teammate? um your thoughts no I, i'm i'm with you on that as well you look at that starting experience and the starting uh just talent out there man the three guys that you name that'll be probably on the field the majority of most games uh they should provide a really good boost to whoever is playing at the quarterback position but uh the the depth is probably the biggest issue that i see here uh it, you just talked about some of the guys that don't have any uh, I guess, more meaningful experience, don't have a ton of experience. And I mean, the only way you get his experience is you have to have the opportunity to play in the games to garner more experience. But uh, like Dixon has played a little bit, Lil Moochie's been able to uh, make some plays here and there, uh, but not a ton of experience. Marcus Washington, another guy uh, that's been on a team, special teams guy, as well as a key contributor whenever you're talking about blocking downfield, who's going to always give you 110%. Uh, but just from the passing game, you know, you haven't seen those big numbers or those big explosive plays that you uh, want to expect from younger guys with the depth. So uh, a seven and a half is probably a pretty accurate score on that just because of how talented those top three guys are in comparison in a relationship to how much depth they have on the team at the receiver position. What do you like about Isaiah Nair? Man, he he has everything going for him, right? Uh, big guy, big frame guy. Like he, he looks as though he's not as big as he is because of how fluid he runs. I'm not saying he's a four, three guy. He's not a blazer like that, but he finds his way to get behind the defense. It seems every single time. Uh, and then at the same time, he uses his hands to make those big contested catches and it's on display whenever he was with Wyoming last season, uh, those 50, 50 balls really aren't 50, 50 whenever he's in the area. Uh, he's come down with so many of those contested catches. Also, you can add in the number of touchdowns that he's been able to make uh, in that catch radius. Man, that, that's something that will become one of the quarterback's best friend is whenever you can throw the ball up anywhere and they can adjust to it and make a play on it. Similar to, uh, you know, how Colin Johnson was. You throw it in a vicinity. Uh, he has more than a 70 percent chance of coming down with it just because of how he knows how to contort his body, how high he can jump and then being able to track the football while it's in flight. So uh, I think he has phenomenal hands. 
before the the injury that he had in spring i hadn't seen him drop a ball and uh that's saying something because he's pretty consistent and even with uh the little brace that he have to had on on his hand he was still catching a majority amount of the balls with this hard brace uh in the on his palm like i don't know how you even catch a ball just with your fingertips in one other hand but that's what he was doing and he was able to make it look very easy uh especially with that that 62 yard touchdown bomb that he caught from quinn ewers uh in the spring game fozzy i've got a confidence level of seven on the quarterback position i mean you've got quinn ewers who's got all kinds of upside highest rated recruit since vince young and um we saw he can make some nice throws in the spring game for sure hudson card uh, needed some help with his pocket presence last year and you know we kind of won't know about how they're going to perform when you've got a you know 11 angry men on the other side of the field with a game plan to disrupt everything you got going what do you think about a confidence level of seven for quarterback i think that's pretty accurate that's that's probably on point with what I would assess them at as well and part of that relies on the potential that we could see uh you, you look at the weapons that each of these quarterbacks will be able to utilize you just named uh those top three receivers uh as having a seven and a half with isaiah nayor uh whittington and xavier worthy so having them as pass catchers really helps uh and, and then you had got the running back position uh, with Bijan, Roshan, Keelan, getting the ball to them out of the backfield. And then the, the heavy presence that Bijan will garner uh, from running the ball will also help alleviate some of the congestion in the pass game. But I, I think a seven is pretty accurate, uh, given the fact that both of these guys don't have a ton of experience starting in winning games uh, at the collegiate level. So it'll be interesting to see how the quarterback battle, battle continues to play out through the course of fall camp. And then how they look whenever actual live bullets are being fired away. But seven is, is pretty accurate in my mind for what they've been able to put on display so far. And there's a depth depth issue, right? Malik Murphy didn't get to go through spring. I hear he's got the best personality of all the quarterbacks that he's, he commands the room. He commands the locker room when he, when he walks in, he's all of six, five. Um, I'm excited to see what Malik Murphy can do come fall camp. Yeah, he's a he's a guy that is extremely impressive. Uh, you look at his tangibles. You just talked about it. Six five guy, uh, weights looking really good. He's holding whatever weight he's at. I want to say probably around the two twenty range. Uh, he looks like he's holding it very well. And obviously, uh, he's recovering from that leg injury that he suffered in the state championship game. Uh, whenever he was playing in California. But one thing that I do know is the opportunities that he did get to throw the ball in spring. Uh, this man has a cannon. He is a phenomenal passer, and I think that's something uh, the the quarterback position, uh, him as a backup, no matter what happens, if it's uh, if he's the third quarterback, the second quarterback, or whenever he gets his opportunity to step on the field, uh, whether it's at the end of the game or, or just whenever, uh, he's definitely going to make some plays because he knows how to spin it, and he can spin it very well. All right, so Fozzie, the next, uh, I got a six and a half on the linebacker position, the safety position, the cornerback position, and punter. Six and a half on all those positions, primarily because the linebacker position didn't play 
physical enough last year. It's got to be way more physical. I, I'm hearing good things about Jalen Ford uh, and David Benda pushing DeMarvin Overshawn to be more physical. What, what did you see from the linebacker position during spring? That is probably a really good assessment, too. Uh, last season, uh, uh, just a year ago, I thought the linebackers were trying to do too much. And, and I think it became a part of they were getting out of alignment trying to make a play whenever they just probably needed to do their job in that instance. And that created some uh, extra holes and gaps for the opposing uh, team to be able to get some really good running room. So what I've noticed this spring is that that issue of trusting your teammate, especially your defensive lineman with uh, those rotational guys that we just talked about with having three DP personnel on the interior side of the D line, uh, allow them to go to work and then play off of what they give you. They're going to plug up the gaps. They're going to get penetration. Now you get to scrape and play over the top uh, and then just trusting in your keys. I think it gives those linebackers an opportunity to play a little bit more fast and physical because they're not trying to do too much. And this spring has been a huge improvement over what I was able to witness versus last season because they are starting to trust the schematics and trust each other whenever it comes down to this to where they're trying to funnel the ball to their best tackler, basically. And Jalen Ford probably is the most improved player that I've seen all season. Looking at him finishing the, the season last year, I want to say he might have been down to 220 pounds, maybe. Um, and seeing him come back, he looks almost like he's all of 240, but still can run uh, very well, looking like he's covering running backs uh, without any problems. Uh, and then being very physical at the point of attack, uh, that's somebody to keep an eye out as probably the most improved pay player a year ago uh, whenever he steps on the field, probably as that other starting linebacker next to DeMarvian. Well, that's awesome. That's that's I mean, Texas fans are going to love to hear that because, um, man, it's been a minute since Texas has had a dominant middle linebacker and. Um, and they need it. Okay, it's safety, Fozzie. I'm fascinated by all the guys who moved from different positions to safety. Um, you know, you got Keaton Crawford from corner, Mo Blackwell from linebacker, Anthony Cook from nickel. Is this going to work? I mean, last year the safety position was a huge disappointment. Um, is this going to work this year? I think it has to work, Chip. <laughs> like, Whenever you whenever you make movements like they did with three guys being moved over, Anthony Cook obviously had that huge interception against against Quinn Ewers in the spring game. Um, whenever we talked to Coach Sark, even before the spring game, one of the big things that he talked about getting at the safety position with these positional changes is getting more athleticism. And I think that's a huge bonus for what this Texas defense is, is looking for and what they need is more athleticism, people with more range, people that also – uh, can, can be versatile in how they are played so that you don't have to have one guy always playing as the post defender and you don't have to have one guy always playing as the box defender. Uh, and you pair up those three guys that you just mentioned, Anthony Cook, Keaton Crawford, Mo Blackwell. Uh, you pair them up with Jaron Thompson, Bub, who's getting a ton of experience and who's made huge strides in comparison to last season. Uh, also, J.D. Coffey is another name that's been very pivotal. Uh, and, and pushing for that starting safety role on the opposite side of Anthony Cook. And I think uh, you have the makings of a very athletic secondary 
uh, from the safety standpoint is just the lack of experience at the safety position is what's going to uh, limit them to begin with. And I think that's probably why they're rated as around a six. Uh, I would say about that six kind of rating for them is pretty accurate just because of the lack of experience. And then the, the safety play last season was not on par with what Texas usually puts out as on brand for DBU. All right. So at the corner position, you got Ryan Watts coming in from Ohio state, six foot three, uh, Boundary corner kind of held that thing down the whole spring from the minute he got on campus and Deshaun Jameson over at the field corner. Um, Jalen Gilbo, from what I heard, was really pushing Deshaun Jameson at the field corner before he got suspended seven practices into the spring. But uh, Jameer Johnson showed up in coverage uh, in the spring. What's your what's your level of confidence in the in the cornerback position? I'm probably a, a, around, uh, around six there as well. Um, I look at the the it's, it's more so the depth issue with them as well. Like you got Deshaun Jamison, who's been a starter at the cornerback position and has made plays at the cornerback position on a consistent basis. But I think more consistency is needed to be able to to garner a little extra confidence. Uh, but he has all the skills that you want from a field corner. Remember, I look at Ryan Watts coming in, transitioning from Ohio State, being placed into that boundary corner role, uh, being very physical at the point of attack. He's always pretty much lined up in press coverage. Uh, he's going to bother and beat up that receiver in the boundary every single time they line up. You want that physical, like big, long arms to be able to push them off of their route, mess up those timing routes, uh, and, and then just being able to run whenever they are trying to, to press the ball downfield so uh, I can see a good pairing with those two being able to play off of each other as far as their strengths and their weaknesses uh, and, and I think those two will be just fine along with Jade Barron in the star position as the nickel cornerback uh, I think he's probably the best cover corner that Texas has on the roster which is uh, probably why he's placed into that nickel role to be able to try to shut down that slot that slot receiver whenever those opportunity presents itself but those three look really good uh but then whenever you go past those starting three just similar to the wide receiver position we start falling off from a production standpoint you talked about jameer johnson i thought jameer johnson had a really explosive spring uh a little undersized from i guess technical like general standards of what a cornerback looks like but whenever you talk about a guy that is not afraid uh to put his nose in there uh, will be very physical whenever he gets the opportunity to and then uh, is always looking to to make a break on the football. I thought he played extremely well this spring, not just, uh, you know, in one or two practices, but he flashed several times uh, in a couple of weeks over that five week span. I, I saw his name and I saw him moving around, making a lot of plays. Uh, Gilbo is another one that's brand fresh, new out of high school uh, that I thought made some plays as well. But I think, uh, you know, some time, to be able to reflect and understand, you know, the schematics of things will be able to be good use for him as well as Terrence Brooks, uh, giving them an extra time to to be able to learn the system and the scheme uh, and just get more comfortable. But I thought Jameer Johnson did a really good job of stepping in and taking advantages of some of the opportunities he was given whenever he was able to run with the twos. Okay, so I've got a confidence level of six for the defensive end. Uh position outside linebacker the jack buck positions 
and a confidence level of six for tight end. Um, just not that impact guy yet uh, at the at the uh, defensive end, outside linebacker position. They might be growing with young guys like Baron Sorrell and and Justice Finkley, but we haven't seen it yet. And then at tight end, you're kind of starting over um, with Jatavian Sanders, Gunnar Helm taking over that H-back blocking tight end role from Cade Brewer. And again, tons of upside, but no experience, Fozzie. Yeah, yeah, with, with six yeah. definitely for for the DNs. Uh, that's that's about where I see it. Maybe even a five and a half, just because of the lack of production at rushing the passer last season. That was a glaring need uh, that that is getting addressed in this off season. But uh, Texas could not find a way to generate a pass rush with those down linemen. Uh, throughout the course of the season and, and if there was a rush or if the quarterback felt pressured it usually had to become had to come from a manufactured pressure whether it was a blitz or a combo blitz or some some sort of zone blitz that allowed somebody to, to basically come free uh, whether it was an extra one or just a missed communication with the offensive line but typically whenever you told those three or four linemen to line up especially on the dn position uh, there wasn't much pressure hitting home. So I'm looking to see who's going to be that stand-up candidate. Um, obviously, you just talked about Justice Finkley, so the recruiting trail was very hot. Uh, Coach Sark said that's one of the places that they wanted to address, and uh, they started doing that immediately. And Justice Finkley, obviously, coming in from Alabama, being a guy that uh, <laughs> got after the passer whenever he was in high school, he's been a great addition to that, can bend very well, does not look like he should still be going to prom uh, this week. Just the way that he is, he looks like a created player already. Uh, but he's a guy that I'm not sure how much playing time he'll get this upcoming fall, but looks really good, you know, for his first taste of college football. And now that it seems like he's starting to under understand the scheme a little bit more. Uh, another guy you mentioned, Baron Sorrell. I think this is a perfect opportunity for him to be able to submit himself as a consistent play to play starter. And then somebody that can also stop the run, uh, but be able to get after the passer. If you can pair him up along with the way Ovia Gofu has been making strides at that DN linebacker position, I think both of those guys can have really impactful, um, you know, plays for the defense to be able to thrive off of, especially rushing the passer. But we just don't know yet. So that's kind of that that. I don't know if they'll be able to do it on a consistent basis or will it just be a hit or miss or will they flash some games or not. But I think they're headed in the right direction from a DN slash outside linebacker perspective. Uh, whenever I look at the the tight ends, though, man, Chip, I, I say I got to put them closer to a seven uh, because they do lack the experience. But what I saw in the spring was some true talent out there. And Jatavian Sanders is probably my favorite tight end right now uh, from a standpoint of if I had to ask somebody to be a starter in 11 personnel where you got three receivers and one tight end, I'm putting Jatavian Sanders out there because he can do he can do it all. Not only can he catch the ball and run like a receiver and make those miraculous catches that we saw him do while he was at Den Ryan in high school, but this guy has put on the weight. He's made it a priority in the offseason to get stronger to actually embrace that tight end role and now can be an attached Y and be able to block. And that's something that you cannot value enough is somebody that can block and pass catch from the tight end position. Cause now you just created a mismatch nightmare 
for a lot of these undersized linebackers that we've seen in the Big 12 as of late. So Jatavian Sanders, I think, has true upside as being a key contributor for this offense. And I think Steve Sarkeesian is going to find a way to get him the ball. And then you bring in a guy like Jaleel Billingsley, who knows how to run. He's like a receiver, no lie. That guy is definitely, if, you, if you're in the receiving game and you line up in 12 personnel uh, and you got one of those slower safeties or a bigger body linebacker trying to cover Jaleel Billingsley, you can wave that goodbye because he's going to win that matchup probably nine and a half times out of 10, just how fluid he can run and just how smooth he looks as a receiving and a catcher uh, tight end. So I think the combination of those two guys, along with Gunnar Helm being able to be sprinkled in there as well, man, I think the tight ends have a little more upside, in my opinion, than what the DNs have being able to get after the passer so far. Well, that's great news. I'm glad you have, you know, it took us to get to tight end before you had a higher confidence level than I did. But that's that's good news, Fozzie, because I got a five on the offensive line. So tell me tell me why uh, it's it's maybe well, give me your opinion on that. And five is can be kind of generous depending on, you know, how you break things down. But man. Whenever I look at the tape last year, man, it was a lot of breakdowns that happened. And part of it was due to injuries. Uh, Another part of it was due to the lack of shuffling or not the lack of shuffling, but how much shuffling took place with the starting offensive linemen from a week to week basis because of the injuries or because people had to fill in here, fill in there. Uh, And it just was all over the place crazy last season. Now, the one positive thing that I do love about the offensive line is They knew how to run the ball whenever they found ways to get after if they needed some yardage on the ground. uh, Bijan could make something shake whenever, you know, they needed him to. And I look at that TCU game whenever he was able to put that icing on the cake to go ahead and and seal the deal with that third and six run. uh, I thought that was a lights out and gutsy play by not only him, but the offensive line setting them up to be able to get those seven yards to, to go ahead and put the nail in the coffin. But uh, man, there's going to need to be a drastic improvement in what we saw just a season ago with the offensive line, whether that's position changes, whether that's guys that are coming in uh, next month, being able to push for a roster spot and, or not a roster spot, but a starting spot. Uh, you got to find a way to get that offensive line up to par. Uh, number one, staying healthy. And then number two, uh, being able to protect the passer. I know last season we saw both of the passers not feel very comfortable in the pocket. And that was due to the amount of pressure that they were facing. And not all of it was due to the offensive line. I mean, quarterbacks held on to the ball sometimes. But uh, just having to fight through the idea that you will be protected long enough to be able to make one or two reads to get the ball out, uh, that's enough confidence that allows a quarterback to be able to play a little bit more freely. So uh, if the offensive line some major improvement, which I think they will, uh, you got the best offensive line coach in America coaching them. Uh, and then you bring in the young pups. I mean, Cole Hudson was a guy that came in as as should be also going to prom uh, this week as well, uh, but was on that one's uh, starting line for the spring game. And I thought he did a phenomenal job and has been doing a phenomenal job getting up to speed and then making his presence felt. Uh, but when those other offensive linemen get here, I think they have an opportunity to really push for a couple starting positions as well. And that should allow, hopefully, uh, this foundation of the offense 
to be able to build off of something and, and be more productive than what we saw a season ago. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be exciting. Two five stars coming in, uh, Devin Campbell, uh, Kelvin Banks, uh, in addition to, um, you know, four other offensive linemen who, by all accounts, this was just uh, the best offensive line recruiting class in the country. Um, Fozzie, last last one, um, kicker. I got a five on the kicker. I know Will Stone is coming in in June, but I think we got to hope that Will Stone is is pretty darn good. I'm right there with you, man. Uh, I mean, no offense to uh, Bert Auburn, who's been the, the place kicker and, and has kicked some – um, or had the opportunity to kick a few extra points last season as well. Uh, but it's just not the same confidence that is exuded whenever Cameron Dickers went out there and usually seemed automatic, no matter how many times he kicked the ball. Now, one thing that I, I do like about Sark's offense is that a lot of times he's trying to put up points, right? He, he wants touchdowns. He don't want field goals. So Cameron Dicker didn't even have to have that many attempts. Um, I want to say he was 13 out of 15 last season. Um, which is is very respectable, obviously only two missed field goals, but at the same time, it's not a huge amount of field goals that Coach Sark, so Coach Sark wants to kick. So as long as Texas puts up the offensive power that we are looking for, hopefully uh, the need for kicker won't be as necessary, but we always know there's going to be at least that one or two games that will need to be decided at the end. And right now that confidence level is not there for me. Um, if the kick was on the line, if there needed to be a 41 yard field goal to, to win the game, uh, I, I'm not quite sure, uh, you know, Bert Auburn is the person that can be dependable on, uh, every single time. And I'm not sure if that'll change with Will Stone, uh, but I'm sure the competition that each of them will share as they try to try to get that starting position role, I think that's going to drive just their overall ability to be able to kick the ball a little bit higher because they're going to push each other. So um, I'm pretty, pretty confident with you on that confidence level uh, with, with the five, just because hopefully we won't need to kick a lot of field goals because we don't know what we truly have quite yet, but there has been some inconsistencies to note uh, uh, in the spring, I guess, spring football game as well to be able to see that there, there needs to be some help at the kicker position and hopefully some consistency here really soon, or else we don't need to have games decided by three or less for Texas to be able to win them. Fazi, before I let you go, what, uh, what else is on your mind with regard to this football team? Sarkeesian's turned over 40% of the roster. Uh, more guys are jumping in the portal. Um, you know, he's recruited 28 freshmen, five transfers so far. Um, what 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 do you think is the the thing that fans should pay attention to um, as this team comes out of spring and now heads uh, into the summer? I think the first thing that I took away from what Coach Sark had talked about the day before the spring game was how their offseason looks completely different versus whenever he got there just a year ago at the end of 2020 and taking over in 2021. So that is probably one of the most eye-opening things and statements that he talked about. And then he went in depth about how, you know, there was uh, construction going on in the locker room and the north end zone or the south end zone, sorry, 
Um, they didn't have their own space to be able to prepare for practice. They didn't have their own space to be able to have their own meetings. They didn't have their own space uh, to really do a lot of the normal things that we kind of take for granted from a standpoint of preparing for the season and preparing for the off season. They didn't have that access and that luxury to their own weight room. Like all of that was under construction last season. And then you tie in everything that was ongoing with COVID and how the rules and regulations were set up and then how many times they had to pause or, or take a break uh, from training because of an outbreak that that came from COVID. And I think that is probably the biggest difference that Coach Sarkeesian said last year to this year is the cohesive nature of the team is exponentially greater than what it was last season because they have their own place to have these meetings and they're right next to each other. Coach Sark said he doesn't know, he doesn't have to worry about, you know, where they are whenever, you know, football practice isn't happening. Yeah, they're downstairs hanging out in the locker room or they're downstairs in the players lounge or they're in the meeting rooms with each other or with their coaches. He doesn't have to worry about where they are. He knows where they're at. And that's probably something that was taken for granted last season is how much transition those guys had to go through along top, uh, along with uh, dealing with the COVID protocols. And I think this season uh, you can see it in the spring. There was just a different energy. There were guys that were really competing hard, fighting with each other. But at the end of the day, they had that camaraderie and they were trying to bring each other up and they were trying to be accountable, not just to coaches, but being accountable to one another. And I think that has truly seeped into what I believe this team can be is if that level of accountability has reached each and every player, then I think they have more than a 50% chance of going five and seven again. Like that you can't, you can't do that again. Right. We, we know that is, that is something that Texas cannot do. Uh, but I think they can have a really good second year in Steve Sarkeesian's um, tenure underneath the helm with, the way that they've been able to prepare this offseason, the approach that they've taken, and then just how close they've gotten together by having their own space and not having to travel, you know, to and from across the field and going this way and that way to try to attend meetings and just get better for what they're trying to do. So I think that's probably the biggest adjustment that Coach Sark has been able to make and something that I think the fans should be really excited for whenever they start evaluating this 22 team. Well, Fozzie, you were part of the 2008 team, which I thought should have played for the national championship. I thought Colt should have won the Heisman that year. Uh, was just an unbelievable season. They've made a, a documentary about it um, on LHN. And, of course, you're on the 09 team that played for the national championship. So you know what the locker room uh, and that chemistry and that uh, accountability is supposed to feel like really really appreciate your insights today my friend and uh let's uh let's definitely stay in touch as this season progresses or as we progress toward the 2022 season appreciate it absolutely thank you for having me on you know it's always a, a blessing and a pleasure to be able to feature it on your show too so just thank you for that opportunity again chip you you bet. For Fozzie Whitaker, I am Chip Brown. Uh, until next time, we'll see you over at horns247.com. Um, thanks for listening. Stay safe and keep the faith. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? <laughs> 
Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.